0: Hello everyone, I am so thrilled to welcome my guest today. Julie Bogart is the author of The Brave Writer and The Brave Learner and she is a mentor to me in all things um, inspiring children, enchanting children, being an educator who collaborates with kids and comes alongside them and sees them as humans and just creates really an air of joy and fun and intrigue and interest and just the journey of parenting being one of joy. And Julie has not only affected me through her books and her curriculums and her podcasts, but I've had the great honor of meeting her in person and seeing her on stage. And she's just a magnetic force to be reckoned with. Um, And, you know, really, truly a role model to me. Beyond all of her incredible work that she puts out into the world and guiding uh, thousands and thousands of parents across the globe, um, she's also a mother to five grown children. They were all homeschooled, uh, you know, most of their education uh, by Julie herself and they are all now grown, four of whom have graduated college and one of whom uh, has built their own career. They're all happy in their careers and well adjusted. So she's also a role model for me of what it looks like on the other side. But don't be fooled if you are not a homeschooling parent or have no prospect of homeschooling in the future. This is still 100% for you. In fact, in this conversation, Julie and I are going to talk about how the different elements of what she teaches through The Brave Learner and The Brave Writer uh, are actually appropriate for parents whose children are in school as well. This must be one of my all-time favorite podcast interviews, so I won't make you wait any longer. Let's play that interview. You're listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Julie, hello,
1: welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. It's great to see you again.
0: It's so wonderful to see you. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy life to chat
1: to. with
0: me here today. Um, Julie, I have already introduced you, but in case uh, anybody doesn't know who you are and what you do, can you tell us a little bit about you and your work?
1: Sure. Uh, So my name is Julie Bogart. I have five grown kids. My youngest is 23 and my oldest is 32. I raised them uh, and homeschooled them for 17 years. And then some of them went to public high school. All of them, except one, went to college. And the one who didn't go to college taught himself computer programming and is married, having his first baby with his wife, and has a really lovely career. Uh, I have lived in multiple parts of the world. I spent a summer in DRC. I've spent a year in France, and I lived for four years in Morocco. I've traveled to probably 30-some-odd countries. So um, I've learned French, I spoke Arabic for a while, it's very rusty now. <laughs> <laughs> no enough Spanish to get in trouble. Um, and mostly I grew up in Los Angeles and today I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, what makes me perhaps interesting to talk to in this arena is that I learned about writing at the knee of my mother who is a professional, is a professional writer. She's written over 70 books. And so when I came into the homeschooling space, I saw a big glaring need for parents to understand better how to teach writing to their kids. And I took what I learned from being in the professional space as an editor, a freelance writer, a ghost writer, and I parlayed that into a program that really meets children where they are, that focuses on writing voice on the integrity of the person, not just the accuracy of the punctuation. And so that's really what I'm all about.
0: Yeah. And Julie, I'm I'm such a raving fan girl. I uh, came across <laughs> your book, The Brave Learner, when I was doing research for a book that I'm writing all around play. And Love it. I dived straight in and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, First of all, it gave so much voice to so much of what I was already hoping to create in my own home. Um, But it also just propelled it forward and accentuated things and, and, and brought things into greater clarity. And of course, hearing from a veteran homeschooler who's been through the process and you're on the other side with the grown kids who are all successful, that just gives us all so much encouragement. And I think, you know, really paves the way. And when you're willing to share and be vulnerable and teach, others, what you've already gone through. It's such a huge gift. And then I got to see you on stage at the Wild and Free Conference and meet you in so person. Fun. And that was just amazing. You have such a magnetic stage presence. You're a brilliant speaker, just as Thank brilliant you. as you are a writer. So um, so that's really just, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm all over your work. I love it. Um, tell us a little bit about your book, The Brave Letter. Everyone listening must get their hands on it. And I just want to preface and say, I think some people might think it's for homeschoolers. I think everyone needs to read this. Can you, can you tell us about it and the process? Yes,
1: absolutely. So one of the unique gifts of homeschool is that we have been off stage out of the educational environment in the laboratories of our own homes. So we have been, you know, concocting experiments and discovering a little bit about what works and what doesn't to foster a love of learning in our children. And what I wanted to do when I wrote the book, when I wrote the book proposal, was to gather up what we've learned and make a meaningful contribution back into the educational space to say with some authority, hey, we've been off stage for the last 50 years, but we actually have a contribution to make to this discussion of how to foster interest in learning, curiosity in learning, retention in learning, because we've been doing it with methods that are not as easily achieved in the school. So when I first made the book proposal, I didn't actually want it to only address homeschooling. Now, my primary audience is homeschooled parents. So for a first book with Penguin Random House, they said, let's include homeschooling, but let's broaden the reach by sharing the principles of parenting, things that can happen even after school, on the weekends. But even more than that, it's a mindset, kind of a philosophical orientation toward what learning can be. And as a parent, whether your child goes to school or stays home from school or is in private school or some kind of tutorial, how you relate to your child around their education is the key to the successful growth of their love of learning. And you can do that no matter which educational model you adopt.
0: A hundred percent. And I think it's so empowering as parents to realize that, you know, you don't actually outsource your kids' education, even if they go to a private school, right? It it doesn't actually happen. You actually, at the end of the day, are still the primary educator, I think, or or partner or facilitator guide through their education. I think often when people meet me, and I'm sure you've heard this a a bazillion times, but, and they're like, oh, you're homeschooling? What are you, a teacher? Um, (laughs) You must be a teacher. Uh, You know, how's your calculus? And I'm like, "Mm, no, no, don't go. (laughs) Let's just say I'm learning third grade math with my third grader, yes. and that is what I'm doing. That's <laughs> but, right, right. But then what I what I suddenly realize is they think that if I'm I've taken on the role of educate of of education in my home, then I must be a qualified teacher because otherwise you have to outsource it to a qualified teacher. And I think even when my kids, and my kids go to a different hybrid of, of programs, so I kind of sure. feel like I have a foot in both worlds. I see yes. them with teachers, I see them without teachers. Even when they go to those programs, I'm the one that's, they're balancing those ideas of that we're working on those projects, right? So for the, for the parent listening whose kids right. are in school, how can they be that partner? How can they be an educator? even when the kids are in
1: school. This is so great. Favorite topic for me. When I was first preparing my book, I was working with someone locally who was helping sort of do the promotion side of the book, getting me some TV spots, et cetera. She knew nothing about homeschooling. So while I was at Starbucks with her, I said, here, read the introduction. I'm going to go use the bathroom. I'll be right back. And then we can at least talk about the framework of what this book's about. I come back from the bathroom. She's sitting at the table. Her name happens to be Julie as well. And she said, oh, my gosh, Julie, I think I might be partly a homeschooler. And I said, (laughs) oh, my gosh, tell me more about that. Because I knew that her son had been in Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. He was already in college. And she said, well, when my son was in first grade, he was falling behind in reading. And the teacher told me she didn't have time to teach him. And that I needed to do it on my own after school with my son. And she said, I thought to myself, I don't have any training. I don't know anything about reading. How am I going to do this? So this is back before the internet. I mean, we're talking a long time ago. She went to the library. She checked out some books. And she realized that her son, who really was not suited to traditional schooling, you know, he was a little ADD. He was a little bit rambunctious. She said there was no way he was gonna sit through a reading lesson when school was over every day. So she started thinking, what can I do to make this a special time for the two of us? And she decided to take him out for ice cream after school each day he was willing to work on reading. Now in Cincinnati, we have this kind of ice cream that's the best in the world, it's called Graders, it's a big deal, and they have these lovely little ice cream shops. So she would pick him up from school, They would go to graders, they'd each get their favorite flavor, and then they would sit together, cozy, the two of them, and she worked on reading with him until he learned. And she said she remembers when it finally clicked over and she thought, I did that. I did that. And so she said, So am I a little bit like a homeschooler? I'm like, Boom, you don't even need to read the book, you already get it. It's this notion that we can partner with our children to give them not just a safe, or um, effective education, but one that they enjoy, one that builds connection, one that creates for them a hunger to know. And every parent can do that, whether it's a big juicy conversation at the dinner table or playing games as you're driving in the car or reading a story aloud before bedtime. There are ways that we showcase to our children the magnificence of everything they're learning. And parents have the opportunity to do that in a far superior way to traditional educators who only get your kids for a few hours a
0: day. Yes, yes, 100%. And I want to highlight and underscore a couple of things that you said there, because one of the things is, I think there's this creep of expertism, like, the I have to, I have to get someone who's got the PhD or the doctorate, and of course, that all has its place. But the idea of, you know, being your own expert, allowing yourself to... Qualify your own voice and your own intuition and your own abilities uh, for your child. And certainly being the child and your expert. Um, I, I, was it you who shared this idea? I, I forget who to credit it with. Who, that said that you've basically accumulated those 10,000 hours of expertise in your child, in your specific child, by the time they're five years old. Yes. Right. So by that time. So I just love that so much. And then the other thing I think is the idea that you don't have to suffer to learn, right? That education or, or, you know, you don't have to learn writing by sitting on your tush and doing the textbooks. You can go and get ice cream in the process. That's right. That's right. I
1: always say to create meaning for children, parents tend to get very abstract and very long-range view because they're adults and they have the capacity for a long-range view. So they say, well, you need to learn fractions because you will need this later for algebra. And you need algebra because later you need to go to college. And you need it in college because later you'll have a career. Well, for an eight-year-old, can you imagine? That's 20 years away, that's lifetimes away for an eight-year-old. So if you cannot create abstract meaning for your child, then you need to create a meaningful context. Whether that is the sense of camaraderie, of a parent partnering at the moment, or creating some kind of a changed experience I got a message from a mom yesterday, in fact. She said her daughter is obsessed with My Little Ponies. And so she wakes up every morning, and she's just happily playing with her ponies and acting out all these little stories. And the mother wanted to pivot and work on phonics and a little bit of math. And she had just read my book, and she realized she was going to ask her child to leave play to do hard work. But she didn't want to only play. The mom didn't want her to only play, and she thought, what would... Julie do, which is a joke, but they say this a lot. And so she thought, well, how can I bring enchantment into this moment? And she realized she would join her daughter playing. So she got on the floor, starts playing with the horses, and then she sets up in the voice of one of the horses, Luna, I guess was her name. Oh no, Ponyville is at risk. It will be exploded unless we crack the secret codes. All right, your horse needs to crack this phonics code. And she pulls out the sheet of paper and the daughter quickly does it. Hooray! They've saved Ponyville. They got through the entire phonics lesson, all the math, and the daughter was into it. She asked if they could do it again the next day. Now that's meaning for a child. That's seeing it through the eyes of a child. That's joining with The animated energy that the child needs to carry out those tasks. But we're so oriented towards duty and abstraction as adults, we think that's cheating. (laughs) But actually, it's just effective,
0: you know? (laughs) Right. It doesn't count because it was easy. Right. 100%. Yeah. And I fall into this bucket too. I always feel like there are some things that are just like, oh, we just, you know, let's just run it done. Right. Let's just get it done. Because I think it does take a lot of creativity and a lot of confidence to say I'm going to still hit the math skills in third grade but not do it through the textbook uh, that is chat that is a challenge
1: right oh it listen it's all challenging I used to go running with these women who were all public school moms and I was a homeschool mom and I didn't even know the vocabulary of their complaints right because I had been out of it for so long But they were talking about how you have to meet with the teacher, even if your child's getting an A, because if it slips to an A minus, if they've met you, they're more likely to give the A than the A minus. And they talked about all these strategies, and I realized we're all looking for control on some level to support and help our kids succeed. But when you're in the system, it just requires a different kind of animated energy. They're sitting there all day partnering with their kids, like you said, on the projects. The kids who get the best grades have very involved parents. I mean, that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. So whether you homeschool or you use traditional school, the idea is that an involved parent leads to the best outcomes in your child's experience of learning. Mm. If you can be the person who enjoys that, um, I'll give you one more story because I think it really illustrates the point. I gave a lecture, uh, I did a workshop up in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2008. And this mom was there. She had been a homeschooler but had just put her child in school as punishment for not being a good homeschooled child. <laughs> okay. So you already see what that life was like for the poor mother and the child yes. and her child was in school and she came to this workshop anyway, cause she had already paid for it. And at the end of the workshop, she stood in line to say goodbye to me, tears rolling down her face. And she said, Oh my gosh, I have stopped partnering with my child. I didn't know that's what we were allowed to do. She said, so while we were at homeschool, I'd assign her something. She wouldn't do it without me and I'd get angry. Now she's in school. She has homework. I want her to do it without me and she won't. And I get angry. Nothing changed. So two weeks later, I get an email from her. The day after the workshop was a Sunday and her daughter had a huge project due for social studies. She was like in sixth grade, and she woke up in the morning overwhelmed like all sixth graders will be when they have a huge project due on Monday that they haven't started, and the mother simply joined with her and said, let's do it together. It took them six hours. They spent the entire time together. The project turned out really well, and at bedtime, the daughter looked at her and said, today was so much fun. I love you, mommy, and this mother just she's like, oh my gosh, now I know I could even homeschool if I wanted to. She suddenly saw what was missing wasn't better dutiful performance. It was collaboration. The very thing all workplaces are trying to grow right now, collaboration. (laughs) And yet we act like children shouldn't have collaborators.
0: Isn't that ironic? It is so ironic because even as you're telling me this story, I'm like, Eh, does it count if the mom's doing it? All of those voices are so there, right? Like, if, yes. what about the daughter learning to take responsibility for herself? And I mean, I'm the first one to say like resiliency and responsibility and all of that, very important. But when we're learning new things and we're little kids, we need guidance and help and collaboration 100%. I mean, that's that's also what makes it joyful, right? I think, you know, we learn within community, I think, by our animal instinct like that Uh, well
1: absolutely and let's just be honest who doesn't want help and support i mean if something breaks in your house and you're married don't you tackle it on some level together one person holds the ladder the other one climbs up we we seem perfectly willing to collaborate with adults yeah there is something about this you know maybe puritanical notion of children that they should be many adults in training, that they'll never get there if we don't heap responsibility on them. What we've noticed, and this is one of the insights I feel homeschool brings back into the space, is that the more you support the child, the sooner they choose to try on their own because they have a model of what risk and experimentation looks like. And in fact, the way I phrase it all the time, I try to get parents to write this down, you want to provide The corresponding level of support to the presenting need so we're not saying you take over we're providing the support that matches the need the need will change and it's very similar to a baby you don't just suddenly stop holding their hand because you think they should be walking they let go of your hand when they're ready to walk we don't take the training wheels off of a bike because we want to punish them into learning to balance We take them off when they start showing that those wheels aren't really hitting the ground anymore. That's how we teach everything. We don't hand kids keys to a car and say, go drive because you've seen me do it for years and you know how to walk and run. So driving's next. (laughs) You know, we seem to know it in all these other arenas, but around academics, we have a different disposition. And I think it's just well, I call it the ghost of public school past. It's the traditional educational model. And like you said, she's just chatting away in your ear, yeah. you know, up on your left shoulder and you yeah. just got to flicker off.
0: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And I love all of those reminders. I often go back to the idea of what, how babies learn things naturally, how a baby learns to walk, to remind myself of all different areas, that there's falling, that there's getting up, that there's support, that it's gradual. Um, yes. so, many, so many things there are good analogies, I feel, for other learning processes as well so I think that's incredibly powerful and also I mean as adults like you said we collaborate when you write a book you don't write it alone you know you have an editor and you have you know maybe a researcher and a designer and all sorts of things you're not expected to do A to Z without collaboration so I think it's actually an even better thing to learn how to create projects or complete missions or whatever in team with 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 others, right?
1: Completely. In fact, I was just reading this week, um, a little bit about, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. It's Paulo Freire or Freire. Uh, he is a, um, an education reformer and he said something that I just absolutely love. Um, this is, this is written about him, but I, I just loved it so much. Um, what is missing? Uh, let, wait, let me back up here. Prayer is never afraid, for example, to use the word love in his educational philosophy, to argue that education is an act of love and therefore of courage. And I think that's missing when we talk about learning. I think we spend, this is an education reformer talking about how to help students who are in third world countries, developing countries who are struggling with an oppressive system. So how do we help liberate people who are in a system, an institution that oppresses them? Well, honestly, traditional education has a lot of that sort of teacher has all the information, student gets it downloaded on them. It's not a co-creation. And what he says is that there's an I-thou, that teacher and student become indistinguishable. Sometimes the student is the leader, sometimes the teacher is the leader, but it's, it's together. I tell a story in my book, The Brave Learner, of how my son, Jacob, really led me into astronomy and gave me a key revelation of the planet Saturn. I didn't realize how much I didn't know about Saturn, that I didn't believe in it, actually. I saw it as you know part of a book or a picture on a screen until he showed it to me through a telescope. Who was the teacher? Who was the student? What was happening there? It was a flip on the whole understanding of what learning is about. Um, I had some powerful, wonderful public school experiences when I was a kid. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of my teachers, um, I got to share this story because it's just so good. And especially for those of you who have kids in school. So I grew up in the 1970s in Malibu Canyon with hippie teachers, like people who'd been to the Peace Corps, and they came back with all these notions of new theories of education. Some of that has been lost, by the way, because of Common Core and testing. But it, I lucked out. I was in the sweet spot. So I had a social studies teacher who had been a Peace Corps volunteer in India. We saw all her slides. You know, she opened a world to us we didn't know anything about. And one day we were studying the Incas and we were learning about like their whole culture. So she had us make pots based on the design model of Incas. So we're like forming the little clay pots and then we're painting them with the right designs. She takes them and fires them and we come back. And at each of our places are these gorgeous creations that we've made that we're proud of. And next to the pot is a hammer. And she says, smash your pot It's going into an archeological dig. And we were like, I don't want to smash it. But then of course, once you smash it, it's really fun. (laughs) So you're like, (laughs) smash, smash. She's scooping them into boxes with our names on. Class is over. Next day we come back. She leads us all out to the field behind our junior high school in Malibu Canyon. And she assigns us in groups. And she hands us all shovels. And now we're going on an archeological dig. So we're like digging up, looking for our pots. And most of the teams found them quickly because she sent them to where they should find them. She had put in cardboard to identify the stratification so you could identify what year, you know. It was very, very much fun. But my team could not find their pots. She misremembered where she had buried them. And I started crying because I was that kind of kid. (laughs) And she walked up to me and said to me, Julie, you're having the most authentic experience Archaeologists don't know where things are buried, so you're going to have to dig around. You guys will find it because it's in this field, but it's going to take you longer. And when you find those pots, you're going to know what it feels like to be an archaeologist. Well, that changed my whole outlook. When we struck true, we all cheered, we went back to the room, she had us re-glue everything together, and we created a little museum display. Wow. That was a kind of learning that does not happen very often anymore. It was an encounter with what archaeology history and the whole frame of reference for what that discipline is about not just memorizing details in a book and
0: passing a test it was great we'll get right back to the show in just a moment but i have something important i wanted to share with you Last August, 17 families gathered in the green jungle of the Blue Zone in Osara, on the west coast of Costa Rica for our first ever Present Play family vacation called Bliss. We were a total of 75 people and had 48 children among us. Together, we formed a pop-up community of intentional parents. We enjoyed seven days of reveling in that natural beauty of the jungle, regularly seeing spider monkeys and giant iguanas as we breakfasted on our farm-fresh vegan meals. Our children played together every morning, led by our incredible child program director, Claire, and her ukulele. Together with a team of 15 local nannies, she led the children in yoga, nature walks, painting out in the jungle, and ninja runs. Whilst our kids were in their version of heaven, us adults got to do our own yoga sessions. For some of us, this was our first ever downward-facing dog, And others were seasoned yogis. Under the guidance of our gentle leader, Jeanette, it didn't matter at all. Then we grabbed a smoothie and headed up to the rooftop shala to meet me for a session of designing our family's vision, aligning on our parenting goals, and rejuvenating our connection with our partner. It was an incredibly moving moment for me, watching the 34 people sitting gazing into each other's eyes and talking about the most important things in their lives their family we were a group of imperfect intentional parents there to support each other no one felt awkward when their toddler had a big tantrum at dinner or their kid broke a plate at breakfast no one worried they would be judged even though we were a diverse group of people from all over the world russia israel india afghanistan the uk iran canada and the us we were among like-minded parents who held the same values. We each had a relaxing massage with the background music of the many waterfalls at Bodhi Tree. Some of us surfed in one of the world's most celebrated surf destinations, and others of us ziplined down the miles of jungle top. And yet others simply took a book and read by the pool as our kids splashed together in the waters magic happened out there on our bliss vacation we got to see the majestic sea turtles lay their eggs at 4:30 a.m in the morning and as we were doing yoga one day a sperm whale swam by and by the end of our dance party on the very last day there was hardly a dry eye among us in just one week we had connected like a family Children became pen pals. Adults became soul friends. Our bodies had been nourished and stretched and so had our minds and our hearts. The beauty of Costa Rica had infiltrated our homes and the kindness and warmth of the Bodhi Tree staff had encouraged us. And on a personal level, my family had so much fun, we knew we would definitely be going back which is why we've secured a spot for our present play vacation in Bodhi Tree, Costa Rica again next year, August 2020. Spots are limited, but we would love to welcome your family to join us. So go to theparentingjunkie.com forward slash events to get more information. Let's get back to the show. Julie, one of the things I love about what you teach is how to access everything through anything. Um, I made a video about that because it was just so powerful to me and um, my son was on this big Harry Potter kick and you know, oh my gosh, what can you not access through Harry Potter, right? But the truth is for anything, for any any area of interest, you can really get to any subject. And I just wanted to bring a really cool example, tell you a really cool story that um, actually happened in a school. It's kind of a homeschool school, but still, this is a school context. There must be a, about 15 kids in this class. My kids, uh, Two of my kids go to this program every Wednesday, but they run it every day. So it's like there are some kids who are there every day for school. And the kids all kind of got the meme, got the got the uh, bug. They were bitten by the bug of Pokemon. Ugh. And, you know, it's so funny. One kid brought Pokemon cards and that was it. It spread very quickly. And now we're all, you know, spending their inheritances on on Pokemon cards. (laughs) It's just Totally. We went through that too. (laughs) You need the folder. You need all the plastic sheets. Anyway. So my kids are very, very into Pokemon at the moment. And at some point, I guess it was getting disruptive. They're very like child-led and play-based in this place. And they sent out an email saying... Um, we're gonna ban Pokemon because it's become too disruptive. The kids are, um, you know, getting d- disgruntled and disappointed when they ch- ch- you know, want to change their minds about trading and all this stuff. And and you know, I kind of had a little bit of a like a, a sad moment in my heart because I felt like it was a bit of a missed opportunity. But yes. you know, okay, like that's I get it. I respect them. It's it's how they run their program. They're, they're doing an amazing job. And then the next day, we got an email saying. Actually, (laughs) and they did this about turn and suddenly they're sending us all pictures of the kids learning um, animation and drawing cartoons and they've got a projector up on the wall showing them step-by-step how to draw the Pokemon characters and they're making, you know, Pokemon... Food and they're sewing Pokemon costumes for the kids for Halloween and all this stuff that they're doing and of course on Pokemon there's all this writing that they're you know oh, reading yeah. these little stories and doing a lot of math because you have to yes who has who does what damage and oh damage yeah it's a, <laughs> it's a lot of math yes of math. it's a ton of math and then of course all the social skills of negotiation and. Mm Etc. And I was just so happy because it was one of these examples. I mean, it's a little bit of a Reggio Amelia approach or whatever it is, but basically, oh, this is an interest that's organically come up from the children. How can we take this and run with it into so many different, more productive ways? And I was just like on fire by that, you know? (laughs) I am so
1: impressed that they had the willingness to reconsider. That doesn't always happen, you know? And it shows their commitment to learning and to their student population. We were very into Pokemon, Yugi, Yu-Gi-Oh cards became the obsession with one of my kids. Yes. And, you know, I I had to play Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I don't like them. <laughs> yes. I still don't know how to play. I played every week for a whole year and I still, because my brain will not attach to that information. Yes. So what does that do? That puts my child in the driver's seat. It allows them to be the one teaching. When I make a mistake, it's on his explanation. He has to regroup, think, how do I get my mom to understand this better? How do I help her perform better? That is so much better than the standard, you know, school-type 10-step peanut butter sandwich creation that everyone uses to teach instructions. Put your child in that position, learn alongside them, let them be the expert. They learn the most when they're an expert, actually. So yeah. I love that. I love that they ran with it. I love that they saw that as an opportunity. You're absolutely right.
0: I thought it was so cool. And you know, I love what you're saying that you learn the most when you're an expert. You know, when people hear that I'm a parent coach, I'm like, well, you know, we all teach what we most want, need to learn, right? That's yes. right because that's why absolutely. I do parent coaching, not because I'm an expert, but because I need to gain that expertise. And I think that kids are no different, right? They need to gain their expertise. So that's so brilliant to elevate, well, to elevate if- them.
1: Isn't that why you have this boom in YouTube gamers? Kids literally recording themselves playing a game, and everyone else just watches them play. And I remember talking with my son Liam about it because he's a huge gamer. He's twenty-five now, and um, he said, "Mom, it's you watch football, you watch basketball. It's the same thing. You're watching, you're learning, and you're enjoying because you actually understand how hard everything is. You understand." the dynamics that this person is continually overcoming. And I think that's one of the things that is a little bit invisible to a lot of parents. They don't know what's happening inside the brain. So the reassurance they're seeking is paper and pencil. That tells them that something is happening up here. But so much of learning is invisible. It's unarticulated. I remember being at a Thanksgiving dinner with all my kids. They're all in college or out at the time. And they started talking about this one TV show and this one song that they all really loved when they were little. I didn't even know they had watched it. Mm. Didn't know the song. And I looked at them and I was like, were we not in this room together? Like, when that on and they were like mom you were always listening to books on tape while you made dinner we were just watching this over here and they had developed like a whole family i don't know lexicon around this show so as closely parenting and monitoring as you think you are they are still forming connections taking the ideas and personalizing them and that's the educational journey your job is to check in every now and then.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I had a great experience like that just yesterday. We go every so often up to Connecticut to this retreat center. It's like a family hiking thing. And my, my kids go off with a bunch of kids and a counselor. They have this kind of camp and they, they go on all these hikes. And at some point, me and my husband and my two, two of my sons wanted to go on a hike. And my son said to me, he's eight years old. And he said, I'll, you know, I know the way I'll show you. And I was kind of like, okay, that's cute. You know, of course he doesn't know the way. Um, But fair enough, fine. We start hiking and I don't know how long the trail is going to be. We don't have our phones with us. We don't have a map. And he starts saying, it's through here, don't worry, just over there, there's a gully here, there's a valley there, it's another hour this way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he does know the way. And at some point, I was worried that we were going off track or that it would be too long before we get back to the other kids. And he's like, no, now it's going to get a bit steep and then it's going to... And he ended up actually like full on being our tour guide and being wow. extremely helpful after i had kind of dismissed you know yes it's like i've done this i've done this hike like five times i'm like when have you done this <laughs> but he had it was just such a cool moment i was like oh my gosh thank you so much for helping
1: us isn't it great you know was we so we cool. had an experience like that in italy so our whole family went to italy uh one summer my oldest was 18 and my youngest was eight so During that summer, everybody was like teenage. And we, my husband at the time, and I, we would open up the map to figure out where we were going. And John and I were sort of like Joey from Friends. We felt like we had to stand on the map to even figure out which direction to go. So we're like wrestling with this big map. And Liam, Jacob, and Noah could glance at the map. And like the map would be oriented this way with the place we're trying to get to is up here on the map. And they'd say, It's that way. And John, my husband, would be like, no, that that can't be true. And they're like, Dad, the orientation, blah, 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 it's that way. They were <laughs> never wrong. It was instant because they've played games because they have internalized how to read maps through their need to you know go blow something up, and that <laughs> blew me away. That was one of those moments where I realized like the old paper and pencil way of learning the the old way of map reading that we are in an eclipsing moment, that this sense of orientation and direction and all of that had changed, you know, in a blink. And they had skills way superior to any I will ever have. Um, And and that's great. That's those moments where you can really value that, where, like with your son, you value that his, you know, first of all, they have more brain space than we do. Our, you know, computer cache of, of RAM is much smaller. And so they're paying attention It's just what they're paying attention to sometimes doesn't register as traditional academics. They're constantly learning. There is no moment in the day a child under 18 isn't learning because they don't know yet. They're always learning.
0: A hundred percent. So Judy, tell me, what was your approach to screens growing? Oh
1: oh, yeah. I've done all the approaches. I've done. Which one uh, is the best?
0: Can you just tell us? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Everyone always asks me that and I'm like, oh yeah, no, there's no answer. There's just a different answer at different times in the seasons of your family life. I think there is a desire for there to be, well, so here's what I think people want. One, they want permission to limit the screens. That's usually the first thing people want from me is permission to say, yep, you can't be on the screens. Then the second thing they want, if they aren't going to get that permission, is reassurance that if they just let their kids play on screens whenever, they'll still get a Princeton-level education by the time they're done with college. So these are both completely unrealistic. We will never live in a time again, barring you know nuclear holocaust, where screens are not the number one way we engage with the world. This is where we are now. Screens are the number one way. We have to get with reality, live in the now, not the then. You cannot shame, blame, control people out of reality. So when you say to your kids, you can't go on the computer because it feels artificial. And that's why they're yelling at you about it. That's why they resist you. That's why they feel angry about it. Flip side is if you create this environment where you're in charge and regulating, your kids will always want to milk the very last minute out of the times that they get. They're going to compete with their siblings for that time. They can become kind of bullish. So let me give you some examples. When we first started with the, the computer, the internet didn't exist yet. So we had things like Roller Coaster Tycoon and these animal zoo ones. And what was interesting was they were fun. They are like comic books come to life. Yeah. They are, I'm now in the TV show. There was a sense of participation that had never existed before in a screen. So just sit with that for a moment. How powerful that is to be an actor in the story, not a passive consumer of it. So that's the first reason it's caught everyone's imagination. I'm behind the controls. I get to make things happen. Computers felt like a miracle. They kind of are. They kind of are, yeah. (laughs) Then the internet came along and suddenly now I could be networked with people and do the same thing. Now I'm like dress up clothes and face paints, but it's with a community from around the globe. It's people I've never met. It's people who are so much better at this than me. I can actually learn something. The internet, all it did was turn it into a great big jam party for gaming. Mm -hmm. And parents who didn't grow up in that era... Don't have any way to approximate it. The way I approximate it is the way, you know, sort of Facebook or Instagram have taken over. We do want connection with other humans. We like connection with other humans, but children play. They don't write long political, you know, fights. That's not how they engage. They engage through play. Gaming is play. So can we see gaming then the same way we see play? if they're dress up clothes and face paints, but it's time to come in and do the read aloud, we give them a moment of transition. We have a notice. We say, hey, we're going to meet in the living room. Um, And after there's a dentist appointment, so I'm going to need you to take off your clothes and put on street clothes. And like, we talk to them like they're human beings, not like they're being polluted by play. So that's the difference. I think if we can be In my family, we did all kinds of things. So we regulated, we had times of day when you couldn't, and then that became artificial. Then we had only one computer, so we had to take two out. First, we start with 30-minute turns. You can barely log on for 30-minute turns before you have to get off. So then we switched to two hours. Then Liam, who's really smart, he would sign up for all of the shifts. The other kids are like, well, wait, I didn't have time. So then we're like, okay, you can't sign up. Until it's literally the next day. So then Liam was getting up at three in the morning to sign up for the eight o'clock shift, right? So they're always, when you are a regulator, you'll be a government. You will have hearings. You will have regulations. You will be enforcing systems. You will be a government. Do you want to be a government? We didn't want to be a government. So at a certain point, we had to buy more computers. We talked about times when... We're doing read aloud, nobody's on the computer. Um, There are moments where we are going to transition and do math and things at the table, so between nine and noon, mom will stay off her computer, you guys will stay off, and we will have this life together. But when we're not having this life together, yeah, you can be on. I'm not about controlling you. I'm about us having a full life together where we value all the aspects of it. And that, you know, takes a long time to get there.
0: Yeah.
1: And you're going to try all the things and you will be mortified. The first time I saw a first person shooter, a James Bond game was 1995. And I was watching a grown man, our neighbor, killing people. And I involuntarily burst into tears. It was so traumatizing to me. And my nine-year-old son was watching and I was like, you will never play one of those. You know, just think about this. This is before Columbine. Before our problem with, you know, these shooters in all these different schools, I saw one video of James Bond, not <laughs> even like the true villain, and it reduced me to tears. Yeah. So we've come a long way since then. You know, I've had t- kids tutor me and whether or not it makes them violent. The jury's out, but it is reality. So you are going to choose based on your own sort of values. I don't want to assign you values. It's a journey. It's a process. Do a lot of reading, talk to a lot of people, experiment, and be okay with the fact that you won't have a one and for all time solution.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Preach, Judy. That was, that was brilliant to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Judy, I have another couple of questions that I really want to get to before uh, we end, but I want to be mindful of your time but I'm going to try and squeeze them in. So one was, and it kind of piggybacks off of the last thing you said, where you said people ask you for permission. I want to ask you, if possible, to give us a few permission slips today. Ah, Wow.
1: You know, it's it's interesting that you should say that because I was just writing about that before we came on the air. So I'm going to look this up really quick. Yeah.
0: Synchronicity right there. Uh, Totally.
1: Because here's what I've noticed recently on social media. There are two strains of parenting advice out there right now. There's one that normalizes struggle. It's the mom who says, my kitchen is a mess all the time too. And my child won't go to bed at six and I'm really tired and don't have time to prepare. And there's this feeling of like, if we all agree that it's hard and that we're not successful at having this organized, you know, pottery barn existence, then we're all okay. But nobody can live in struggle long-term. So what happens is you normalize it, which helps us not feel weird. But if there isn't some kind of a pivot, some kind of a frame of reference for how to move forward, the normalization doesn't really cure the problem. It just leaves you agreeing that we're all a mess. And that's just not enough, right? But the yes. so-
0: Right. Yes. Yes. So just
1: being real doesn't fix the problem. Being real is where we start in twelve step groups. Yes, I have no control over alcohol. Yes, I have no control over my house and my children. That's a great place to start. But that isn't where it ends. We're going somewhere. We want to discover tools that help us. Yes. So so the people who then say, Okay, struggle is normal, some of them then decide to solve it for you. And the way they solve it is by becoming didactic. They give you a solution that has rules attached to it or an idealized vision. And they say, here's how you overcome it. You apply, you know, Reggio Emilio or Waldorf perfectly. And you can't vary. You know, if you're a Waldorf mom, you certainly can't have an animation on a T-shirt because that would ruin all the benefit of Waldorf. There'd be no other benefit.
0: It's over. Yeah. And your Instagram feed would be totally screwed. Right.
1: Or you have parents who advocate, you know, um, I remember being on an email list years and years ago for taking children seriously, which is a kind of philosophy that I've found very valuable. It was one of the most toxic places I've ever been because they were so mean to parents. Yes. Here's what happens when you end up solving the struggle problem with a rule, with a belief system, with an external authority you never discover what works for you you are performing for somebody else so you're either performing by agreeing yeah i'm a mess and then you just sustain the mess so you can still be in that club or you give up the mess cuz you're finally sick of it and you try to apply this external model that may not actually fit your family and the danger of that is all of it is outside in there's no internal person who is willing to take risks, to experiment, to come to a unique solution that matches this moment in time for this collection of people, because that's all you ever have. There's no one for all solution in parenting or mothering or homeschooling or educating. They are all arrived at. I, the way I described it was this. Um, there is no one way that works for everyone. There are endless numbers of little ways. There's no one large way. There's little ways. We all have our own ways. Liberation comes when you take back your right to explore as many options as necessary to find today's right fit for you and for your family. And we do it through gentleness, not just to our children, but to ourselves. There are moments I remember... I was a La Leche League leader, for God's sake. I was co-sleeping with my babies. My fourth baby broke me. I had a bedwetter. I was pregnant. I had a toddler. And my fourth baby would not sleep. And I realized, can I go outside the approved literature of La Leche League for other solutions? And I experimented because I had to. My life and survival depended on it. So did my family's. It's hard to allow yourself that freedom if you get your identity through being aligned with a system.
0: Yeah, I could not agree with you more. You were 100% speaking my language and this is something that we speak about you know, again and again and reiterate at The Parenting Junkie. And the reason it's called The Parenting Junkie is because I'm just, I I really, where it started from was just being a junkie for learning all the different, I was just so interested, but I have this aversion, this allergy to dogmatism, you know, it's so destructive and, and also ludicrous because there's so much variety in human Experience and, yes. and reality that how can one, how can any single thing that you say ever be true for all babies and all kids and all parents at all times? It's ridiculous. It's
1: ridiculous.
0: And it's yet, destructive. hello. I have a
1: surprise. We, we have a surprise visit. Oh, I have to see this. Oh my gosh. A surprise
0: you. you have a surprise for me? Okay, um, tell me quickly and then I have to finish my conversation, okay? Then Everyone, this is Tanya. Out. Oh, I have to Hi. come see it Okay, so give me one minute to finish and I'll come up and see it. Okay, darling? Welcome home. You can stay. Um, Julie, this is Tanya. Hi, Tanya. Tanya's three years old. My goodness. Um, yeah, so I 100% agree with you around this dogmatism. It's so important. It's so, so, so important. And I think when people see people like you or even people like me, they might think that there's some kind of rules or, you know, they might think, oh, Julie thinks everyone should homeschool or Julie thinks everyone should right. write, you know, that everyone has to be a writer or everyone. Yep. And it's so easy to jump to those conclusions. When I see certain feeds on Instagram, I'm like, oh, they probably judge me because I have plastic toys or they probably judge me because Oh, I'm totally. Fine. And it's, it's just not, it's just not, not true and not necessary to, to go down those roads. And I think it makes parenting extremely difficult. This is Eli. Everybody's listening us now. I'm almost done. Hi, okay? Eli. Julie, it looks like my kids have decided that this, this podcast interview is over. <laughs> but I am so looking forward to having uh, more conversations with you. I know you're going to be an expert in present play in the near future. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It's Fine, thank you, Jeff. Um, and I cannot wait to continue. One of the things, just to just to kind of see yes. this conversation, one of the things that I really want to discuss with you that we we discussed briefly in person at Wild and okay. Free is family culture. Yes, and I think that is such a fascinating fascinating topic. I want to bring that up with you next time we speak. But for yeah, that,
1: let's do that. That's a great one. I, right? I think everybody will enjoy that. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah
0: yes yes family culture i love what you said about it there and i want to share that with all the present players but i also wanted everyone out there to hear you on this on this interview it's quick it's fast become one of my all-time favorite conversations on my podcast so thank you so much for taking the time julie and i just want to ask you where should we send everyone to learn more about you and your curriculums and your book and all of your offerings
1: great so bravewriter.com is the company that teaches writing and we do have all kinds of programs and online classes that can be helpful to whether you homeschool or not. So that's where you find out about writing. Thebravelearner.com is the website that features my book, The Brave Learner. And the reason I'm sending you there and not just straight to Amazon is there is a free 92-page companion guide that you can download and use while you read the book. It's sort of like a bullet journal experience. So if you are interested in purchasing the book, be sure to download the guide and then you will have sort of that combination. It's entirely free. There's no charge for that at all. Uh, And then of course I have a podcast that's a little bit on a hiatus right now, but I have a podcast that's, you know, got five seasons worth of material and uh, a blog and I'm on Instagram. Julie Brave Writer is the name of my Instagram account.
0: And I would love to meet you there. And of course we'll link all of that up in the show notes. I just have to tell you, Julie, that I have binged on your podcast. Ah. I, I loved it all. I loved everyone. Um, I especially loved your son Noah interviewing you. Oh, that was he's so the best. sweet. That was so sweet. Awesome. That's brilliant. Jimmy, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This has just been lovely. I can't wait to do it again. It's great. Yay,
0: yay. Okay. Thank <music> you.